We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. It is Tristan with Nerdette's Newsstand, and today on Ask the Experts, we have the killer of comics by day and the badass Mai Tai fighter by night. She just announced her Wonder Woman Evolution book, Coming to DC, and she's writing the Harley Quinn ongoing and my new, new personal favorite, Nuclear Family from Aftershock. And so much more that Stephanie Phillips is doing. So how are you today? Great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> me too. So everyone kind of wants to know, at least, okay, so by when I say everyone, I do. <laughs> when will we see Ivy and um, Harley back in each other's arms, or back together at least? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we've really already, we've kind of established, like, you know, Harley doesn't see them as split. Ivy's just missing. And mm -hmm. for anyone that's been reading kind of the Catwoman story alongside ours, um, Ivy has started to kind of make her way back into the Gotham universe. Um, so Fear State is going to be the first time that we kind of have this big reunion of all of the Gotham City Sirens back together, which is going to be super awesome. And we're really excited for what that means for Harley. Um, you know, this is something that uh, back in issue one, we kind of showed that letter on Harley's wall with with Pam written on it and Batman kind of goes to reach for it and she's like no do not touch that like you know that's mine that's my personal stuff I'm <laughs> not ready for that yet um so you know that's something that as a team and you know obviously writing the the prologue too with Laura Braga and New Roots it's something that we've been building towards and so we're really excited that um, I think last month we got to show off our first Gotham City Sirens cover. So for um, our three Fear State issues, you know, getting to include Ivy and Catwoman um, and now Gardner <laughs> as well into the story is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and that will have kind of a ripple effect for a lot of other things that's going to go on in the ongoing series as well. That's awesome. I'm excited for Fear State. A lot of it looks really good. And the stuff, are you working kind of alongside uh, Ram V when it comes to the stuff in Fear State? Are you guys kind of having to, you know, pitch yeah. ideas off of each other? Yeah. Um, so having, uh, you know, myself, Ram and James Tynan kind of talking a little bit about what we're going to be having our characters doing in Fear State. Obviously, uh, Tynan is kind of like uh, a bit of like the director, you know, the Batman line is kind of saying like, here's what the Fear State event is. And then our characters get to really react to it. But since we're also doing this really cool Gotham City Sirens reunion in the middle of Fear State, um, absolutely, you know, Ram and I have been on calls together to kind of discuss uh, what Selena's doing and Harley and how we want that to play off of each other. And um, yes, so if you read all of them together, you know, there are there are times where like the Harley series will pick up right after something happened in the Catwoman series. Of course, we give like a recap and um, in only the way that Harley can give a recap, which is a lot of fun. Um, I love it. <laughs> but yes, it is absolutely planned alongside the other writers in Gotham. And, um, you know, hopefully it presents something really cohesive to readers. That's awesome. I've been reading all of the okay yeah i'm the nerd that reads all of the titles but still <laughs> I, I, i'm glad to see gotham city sirens coming back together yeah. it's such a great team up and so much they could do with them so one out of the harley realm of things 
I um well it was a few weeks back I read them digitally but how did you come up with your idea for Angela in Legends of the Dark Knight number four did you kind of draw inspiration from I guess real life and in women in general yeah uh, that's a great question so I I don't know that she's based off of any one person in particular but I wanted to create a character that kind of pushed uh, Bruce's sensibility about vigilante justice. And that kind of prompts, you know, his conversation with Alfred at the end, like, uh, you know, does doing good things in her name mean that you are advocating for murder or things that she did? And, you know, to Bruce, Bruce's point, like, uh, she did go try to do things other ways. And a lot of powerful men shot her down, didn't listen to her and enabled abusive and toxic people. And um, it becomes kind of this lesson where, you know, Bruce says, you know, I can donate money. Um, I can do that. You know, it's not my story to tell, but I can donate money. And as he turns to go, um, he says, you know, but Batman will be watching. Um, so kind of kind of saying that there's this this been this a bit of a blind spot for Batman, that this is something he needs to pay even more attention to and not just sit back and wait for somebody to bring it to him um, to be a little bit more vigilant about these things and learn from the past, which was a lot of fun to have him go literally back in time. And that was cool to, to kind of work with Max and, and Tamara to figure out what that was going to look like so that readers maybe didn't get super confused. Like obviously we're in Batman's mind, but he's not literally in like a time machine going back to 1910. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun to see, you know, Tamara and Max kind of work together to figure out like how we were going to have him look in kind of like this, this simulation that he's created in the Batcave. But of course in his mind, it's so much more immersive than just like, a digital readout of 1910. Um, and I really wanted to play with the detective element too. That's always been my favorite part of Batman. Um, so getting to do kind of a straight murder mystery that ties together using some of old Gotham, which is something I loved about what Scott Snyder did and Greg Capullo with the character as well. So um, yeah, that was, that was a ton of fun to get to work on that. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I thought and the detective part is my favorite too, right? And we don't see that as often. It was really nice to see. It almost reminded me. I don't know if you've played the Arkham games, but it almost that. reminded me of how he recreated stuff within that and using kind of that detective mode. I absolutely loved it. But is there any character like there's so many good DC female <laughs> characters? Yeah. And is there any like that we you would want to write or you would want to cross over with Harley, like bring Power Girl back or anything you? want to do even if it's not possible just something you personally would like to see yeah um see it's a tough question to answer because i know where harley's headed and my answer <laughs> to that question will be answered uh for the I public love it. <laughs> um yeah absolutely there's uh i mean there's so many great female characters in the dcu that i love um you know i'm always game for even more with the gotham city sirens which is great and i'm glad we we kind of have that running through fear state and um even a little beyond um, but yeah, I can say like, you know, where Harley's headed, uh, you know, we know where our year one of Harley ends, which is wild that we're already kind of coming up on that point. Um, you know, sitting here writing, um, like issue 12 is crazy. <laughs> like it feels like the series just started coming out. Um, and we have lots of plans for what's kind of going to be happening after that. So we've been kind of establishing some stuff throughout Harley that's 
going to lead into like some bigger stuff in year two, allowing for a lot of cameos in the DC universe, which I think is going to be super fun for Harley and maybe some people we haven't seen her team up with yet. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for all of those uh, kind of cameos or team ups that are about to about to happen. I love it. Is there um, is it hard for you as a writer, not necessarily in Harley or a nuclear family, any in general? Is it hard for you to write and get the perspective of the male character? Do you find writing characters like Harley easier or, you know, is it just kind of reading the tone? Um, you know, I think it is more the tone because, um, you know, t- you started off mentioning too that I'm going to be writing a Wonder Woman series and it's like these two characters could not be, in my mind, more distinct. Um, just, you know, Wonder Woman is just this very tough and um, oftentimes I think severe. Um, you know, I think she does have a lot of uh, a- ability to uh, be a bit lighter, but she often doesn't want to let that show. I think there are a lot of reasons for for Diana to give off this tough exterior. And Harley is, you know, uh, like going to say li- every every little thing that's on her mind. There's no um, filter, which is often really fun. She'll go down every rabbit hole she finds. And I think Diana is driven by a much more focused approach to whatever the problem is. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know that that's particularly gendered, but I do think that it's really cool to be able to write two very different characters in the DC universe and get something really cool out of each story and each creative team that I get to work with. Um, you know, working on Oliver Queen was a lot of fun. Um, I have been pretty vocal that that's my favorite character in the, in the <laughs> DC universe. I love Oliver. Um, so that was really cool as well. And I think a lot of it also just comes from like my background reading DC comics growing up. So a lot of these characters just feel super familiar um, and then kind of finding my, uh, whatever it is I want to latch onto about the character that I really love. Um, and with Harley, you know, I think it's been a lot of the intelligence and using her humor to disarm people when she can, but also something that's kind of under that humor, which, you know, she's got a lot of stuff to work out and she's got a lot of things that she's thinking about in terms of redemption and whether that's possible and what the next step is for her in her life. Um, so I, yeah, I think, you know, it's really cool to get to write all these really different characters in the DCU. Oh yeah. And I want to talk definitely about um, evolution, Wonder Woman evolution, but I have to ask because I love this character and hardly all you have the sidekick red tool. Now she's got Kevin. How did you come up with him? Because he's only been in a few issues and he's already kind of <laughs> better than Red Tool was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kevin, uh, Kevin is inspired by, I think, a, a couple of characters that I really love, but also um, the name came from a, a friend of mine who was a golden retriever named Kevin. Uh-huh. And I just like loved the energy of this dog named Kevin. And so we got to kind of bring that into like the basis for this character that we wanted to be going through very similar things to Harley, but his path is a bit divergent. So even though they both work for Joker and they both have a complicated past with Joker and Gotham, they're both approaching this issue in I think a very different way. And that gets, uh, that allows Kevin to be pretty complex. And one of the one of the things I was telling Riley the other day that I'm so excited about is we've worked on really establishing Kevin and now we get to like dive into this a lot more. We get to, um, you know, now that he's kind of on the table and people know him, we get to explore, um, you know, his narrative point of view. So some issues coming up actually get 
uh, are going to be told from Kevin's point of view. So we learn a lot more about him and his thought process. The Harley Quinn annual is, uh, I would say, pretty driven by Kevin. Um, Kevin is on a mission to find Harley, who has gone missing when this new villain keepsake has emerged in Gotham. And uh, he has to try to figure out how to navigate the situation in the way that Harley might. But at the same time, we see Kevin is Kevin. He's like this very sweet person who's very worried about how his past maybe can't be forgiven. And um, I think that colors how he acts and operates on a daily basis. And, you know, he has to look in the mirror and see all the Joker tattoos every day and try to remind himself that even though those are permanently there, he can be a different person today. And um, I just, I don't know, I think that makes Kevin really endearing, at least for me to write and, um, you know, getting to also showcase somebody who, you know, coming up, he will have kind of a different narrative as well that talks a lot about body positivity, which I wanted a male character to do this as well. Um, yeah, I don't think we get to see it as much from a male perspective. And, um, that's something I really wanted to portray. Um, so I'm excited that we get to do that with Kevin. Um, yeah. And I love his relationship with Harley. I wanted to build something that was really positive and platonic, something that she gets to choose the terms and the boundaries for the relationship. And, um, it's not always perfect. You know, we'll see a couple of little bumps and hiccups between them coming up. Uh, but I think that's important when two people can in a healthy way express boundaries, which is something Harley has not been able to do in the past with people like Joker, obviously. And so getting to say, I have a boundary and have somebody respect that is so important for Harley and Kevin. And I'm really excited to get to kind of show some of that stuff coming up. I love that. I, and that's one character, um, Ted Cord, that when Gail Simone wrote him with kind of body issues, it was always mm-hmm. something I really liked. Like I loved knowing that, you know, people suffer, whether it's something like body dysmorphia or something. I love the idea of kind of teaching people through a different perspective. That's awesome. So we need to talk Wonder Woman because awesome. I read that awesome interview, by the way, in Newsarama. And it was like kind of showing your evolution because I read your sensational Wonder Woman when it first mm-hmm. came out. But it almost seems like you're oh, I don't know how to say this without sounding weird, but like in a different place. How did your writing of Wonder Woman evolve from then to now? Yeah, I think uh, I think my understanding of Wonder Woman uh, has evolved. So I, yeah, I like that question a lot. That's interesting. Um, so, I mean, it's something I talked about in that interview is I really always saw Diana as a symbol. And I don't think that's necessarily bad, but I didn't quite know her beyond that symbol. I mean, I've read... Um, I think the first run that I collected in full of Wonder Woman uh, was the New 52. I love, um, you know, I love Rucka's work on it, Liam Sharp, uh, Gail Simone. There have been some really great people that have written Wonder Woman and I've really enjoyed it. But when I would, what I would take away from it was not like, um, I don't know. I think when I write Batman, there's kind of like a fun play that I get to do between Alfred and Bruce because I I feel like I know Bruce a bit intimately. I didn't feel like I had that with Diana, even though I've been reading or watching or engaging with Wonder Woman content since I was a a kid. Um, And so I started to think like a lot of these pitches that I uh, came up with, even before the sensational Wonder Woman, I had pitched some Wonder Woman stuff. Um, a long time ago. And I think one of the biggest flaws to some of the stuff I was pitching was like, this is very much about a symbol. This is not as much about a person or watching her struggle or watching 
um, her in a situation that maybe we haven't seen before that we get to see somebody being a bit more reactive. Um, so I, I created a situation that uh, I guess this will just kind of sound mean to Diana for a second, but like I wanted to watch her fail and see how things were going to play out from there. So, I mean, one of the first things that Mike and I did was like, let's strip away the symbol, literally. Like the Wonder Woman symbol is gone off the costume, which is something that we play with um, a bit later in the series, though some of the, the tease pages that we put out kind of show that she has this big etched W that she's scratched into her armor herself um, with her own ax, like trying to hold on to the symbol. Oh, wow. Um, and this is something that, you know, I was really excited to kind of include in the series. And, um, you know, I think knowing as well, like the scope of it. So like we have an eight issue mini series and knowing what the last page of issue eight is going to be while writing is um, just a really cool place that we get to be in. Um, you know, when I speak to Mike and kind of go over things that we want to hide in the artwork or things like that. So even when you get to the end of the series, it's something that I think readers can reread because once they know how this kind of unfolds, they can go back and maybe see things that we've seeded or planted along the way in this series that I, I think will allow for uh, readers to be really engaged with it. And I know you said in your newsletter that you dug into some like deep psychological discussions in Wonder Woman Evolution. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate or is that as far as you can go? I don't yeah. want to get you in any trouble. <laughs> No, uh, so I mean, like, I guess a little bit of like, uh, is this the life that Diana wanted? You know, we have uh, someone that wanted to leave her home and become this superhero. And I think we do a lot of reflecting on what that means to Diana the person. So not all of us that have watched this hero emerge and been like, what a great feminist symbol, or even just like a kick butt symbol, like she's awesome. Um, but what does that mean for her? Um, you know, how does she feel watching Clark go home to his family or, you know, any of these other heroes? Um, you know, what is she maybe feel is missing her life? Um, and, and how does she reconcile uh, a lot of decisions that you have to make as a hero? So, you know, if you can't save everybody, um, and in some cases, uh, you know, we're going to watch Diana really struggle with the kind of fallout if she can't save everybody or if she can't stop the bad guy because she has to save somebody. These choices that she has to make, we're going to reflect on quite a bit. Um, so I've intentionally set up some of those parts to include almost like um, a platonic dialogue. So taken from some of the old texts from Plato, like the Phaedrus and things like that. Um, I can't say who it is, but Diana does have um, kind of like a guide that she gets to talk to throughout the series. And that kind of sets up for this interaction for her to like, somebody's asking her all of these questions that I feel like maybe the reader would want to know and really push her, be like, does she have an answer for these? Like, Diana, are you happy? Um, like, is this the life you wanted? Like, how does it feel to have to make these choices every day that are often life and death? Um, and how do you make those choices like how do you decide which life is the one that you're going to save if you can only save one you know that kind of thing so um Ooh, I yeah I, I mean I it's it's dark um it's going to be you know a very cosmic setting um and I think also like I said in the newsletter though I mean question everything <laughs> this is um a, a series that I think is going to take a few pretty unexpected turns or at least if I've done my job right they're unexpected so. <laughs> <laughs> um, mysterious I love it um is there any people I know you mentioned Rucka and some of the others which 
uh, some of his stuff, like Hikatea, I absolutely love. But mm -hmm. is there any writers or um, even artists that you would call your biggest influence? Though that is a loaded question. If you don't want to answer it, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, like current writers, uh, I absolutely love the fact that I get to work alongside Tom Taylor, like somebody that that's, that is that creative and just an incredible, like his superhero work is just amazing. Like all oh, yeah. of it. it's different. He never repeats himself. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's a current writer that I would pick up anything that he writes and, um, you know, being like, a nerdy Tom Taylor fan. It's so fun to get to be in meetings with him, you know, when we talk about like Gotham and, you know, Nightwing and Fear State and all of that stuff. It, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun to get to hear, you know, some of his thought process on writing these characters. So um, it's always inspiring getting to be in a meeting with really any of these writers that I get to work with in Gotham, Rom and James Tynan and just um, John Ridley has been really fun to kind of hear him talk about Gotham as well. So um, anytime I get to sit down with uh, with these people and just listen to what they're working on, um, Rico Tamaki, absolutely incredible. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, I think one of the coolest parts about working in Gotham is just the you know the peers that I have alongside me. Um, you know, Harley was my first ongoing, so getting to kind of come into a group of um, more seasoned writers at DC and really listen to how they put together a big event like Fear State, which is the first, um, I would say, like in continuity event I've been a part of. Um, it's it's really cool. Like, you know, everybody is just so creative and um, yet distinct that it's, it's a lot of fun to kind of work with them and build this giant puzzle of Gotham. That's so cool because all those people you mentioned are people I talk about every single day on my channel. <laughs> like, I'm like, don't sleep on Detective Comics. Mariko Tamaki yeah. is doing so good. Don't do that. So it's kind of cool to know, you know, you're part of that Bat family. And you've been really like a rising star in, at DC. Is there any titles that you haven't written that would be like the dream title for you? Um, I mean, I... I would love to do more with Green Arrow, uh, you know, if the, the chance comes up. Um, I think he's been a lot of fun, uh, even just to work on in, like, really small contexts. Um, there have been a few things that I've done with the Justice League lately, like, including them in other things. Um, like, you know, having a Justice League cameo in the Wonder Woman title and working on a scene with the Justice League. It's like, oh... You know, I, I think I was always a little afraid to write the Justice League um, or writing them in the uh, Green Arrow story that I did for the 80th anniversary, uh, just because it was like so many characters that I wasn't quite sure how to kind of make all the interactions work when you have all these people together. And um, I, don't, I don't know, I, I did it with Wonder Woman and Green Arrow, and I kind of came away from it like, oh... I really enjoyed that. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun to kind of work on all of them together and their interactions, which is something that I love reading in the Justice League was also a lot of fun to write. So um, I would not, uh, I guess, surprising myself, I would not be adverse to writing more Justice League. <laughs> well, we know Batman's coming up. Put her on Batman DC, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, I know you have your PhD and your master's degree. Like, you are well-educated, well-rounded, kick-ass kind of thing. What made you choose comics? Not that that's a bad thing. It's it's. Right. I'm in my 30s, and I love it, too. So I was just curious. 
yeah, so I guess being in grad school, I was doing a lot of academic publishing and um, it just wasn't hitting the same kind of creative bug that I just really wanted to work on something, like build something. Um, you know, working on these create or academic publications, I I think, you know, my mom would read it and not understand it. It just wasn't really meant for wide popular consumption and it was very rigid. And, you know, I think academic work serves a really important purpose. You know, I have many friends that are academics that do really important things. Um, but, you know, I would be just doing the work and being like, man, when can I go like, you know, pick up a comic or a video game? Um, I just wanted to do something creative or be involved in something creative. Um, so I wrote a comic, uh, like I, I knew some people in the comic industry, uh, kind of talked with them a little bit and they were just like, you know, why don't you try it? I didn't really know what writing a comic meant. Uh, so I kind of went out there and just did my own thing. I hired an artist, um, ended up publishing it through Black Mask. And after publishing that, my relationship with Aftershock started taking off. Um, and it was kind of just like a snowball effect from there that like one thing was leading to the next. And before I realized it, like, I, you know, I was teaching classes, I, I was a professor and I just couldn't do both. And I think that's a really cool moment, uh, really lucky that I got to that moment where I was like, I have to step away from the classroom. I mean, or the opposite, but you know, I, I didn't want to, stop writing comics and uh yeah I'm just really really fortunate that I'm in a position where I can write comics full-time what was the title from Black Mask I don't know if I've read it it's called Devil Within it was a four issue horror story um set in the Philippines based on a true story um, with, with artist Manhouse. oh that's awesome I'm gonna have to check it out I've read a lot of your work but I've, I've not read that one so speaking of getting away from DC just for a moment. I know nuclear family um, was based off of Philip K. Dick short breakfast yeah. at twilight. Right. Um, what gave you the idea to transform that into a comic and, and go into a period piece like that, all the research, everything you have to do, what inspired you to really dig into that apocalyptic fiction? <laughs> I love uh, historical fiction. So it was definitely a fit like from the get go to do something period piece. Um, and um, I think somebody brought like the original concept to Aftershock and they asked if I would be interested in adapting. Um, so I read the story and I didn't really want to adapt so much as like build on to it. So like in the short story, which is very short, the family, when they like, I don't even want to call it time traveling because it, it's really nebulous. It's like time travel, alternate reality, whatever we want to say they did. Um, they don't really explore what that looks like or what that consequence is. And that was something that I really wanted to do. So in this moment, in the short story that Philip K. Dick doesn't explore is really where I set our story so that we explore kind of what this alternate, very uh, dystopic end of the world apocalyptic reality looks like for the United States. And um, yeah, that was a lot of fun to build with Tony Shastine, somebody I've, I've always wanted to work with. I loved his work on Star Trek. So we finally got to kind of find something that was a good fit for both of us. And um, I'm really excited because we're going to be doing more with Nuclear Family in the future as well. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Is it is it uh, ongoing? Um, 
not so much ongoing. So the first uh, volume is five issues, and then um, we will be doing more uh, stories kind of set in the nuclear family universe um, coming up. I don't have a good time frame for it, but we will definitely be doing more with it. That's awesome. I know like that apocalyptic fiction, it, it's it's pretty normal for people to write. You know, we've got a lot of stories around that. How did you do the world building so differently around like Tim McLean and his family? Because it's it's not just, you know, zombies took over the world or this or that. How hard was that world building? Um, well, I think my goal was to keep the focus on the family and let that be kind of the part that was a little bit different and unique. Uh, you know, I don't think we have a lot of that uh, kind of fiction that focuses specifically on, uh, as the title would suggest, a nuclear family. Like, you know, I even games that are kind of similar to that, you're just like, you know, a single player or um, what's that zombie game, Last of Us, where it's oh, like... Yeah you're your own person but you know every once in a while you either switch perspectives or you've got like the male partner character it's like you and another adult but like this is a full family that has a little kid a teenage daughter and Mm -hmm. you know the dad's a used car salesman like this is (laughs) you know ex-military who's now living in a post-apocalyptic zombie wasteland like these are people that are really out of their element um and absolutely confused by what's going on and why them um and so that's something that i really wanted to be kind of the focal point so we're really following the relationships of the family and that's something we're going to dig into even deeper in some of the upcoming stuff and really go um i think more in depth on something like the father-daughter element and things like that so um my hope is that the family is really what sets it apart a a bit from other post-apocalyptic material because I know there's a lot out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. It definitely was something different. And that's originally why I slept on it because I'm like, oh, you know, kind of worn out with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I read it and I was like, what was I doing? Why did I miss <laughs> this? Um, as far as your work with heavy metal, how did you enjoy, you know, writing Tarna and being able to explore that character in a little bit of a different way, but still very similar? Yeah, um, that was that was definitely a cool experience. You know, it's a character that I knew and it was, I would say, one of the first big kind of licensed properties that I got to work on, which was a cool experience. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't really see myself much as like the cosmic writer, uh, you know, in the way that I think some people could write like really good Green Lantern stories or something. I think there's a reason I'm more drawn to Green Arrow versus Green Lantern. Right. Um, and, and even though our Wonder Woman story has a very space and cosmic setting, uh, the story itself is really grounded and character driven. So like, I've, I love the setting, but you know, with Tarna, it is, uh, I would say, less of that character driven and more about these big epic space fantasies, which uh, I think one of the cool things was at least getting to kind of try my hand at it, because I would say that's just not, uh, as much as I enjoy it as a reader, it had never been something that I was like, oh, yeah, I'm absolutely comfortable with this as a writer. And it's something that, you know, a few issues in, I started like really feeling like, oh, okay, this is really cool. Like, you know, you can change the rules because maybe there aren't any because it's, you know, a planet I've just made up. And um, <laughs> it's it's definitely stretching, you know, different muscles um, going to like a giant universe and Tarna, who's not even like a full real person. 
uh, versus working in like a very gritty streets of Gotham kind of thing. Right. I totally get it. I, I'm, as far as a consumer, I'm even more of the grounded superhero. So I totally yeah. get it. But I did love your Tarna. Were you expecting, oh my God, the insane outrage that followed? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I literally made a video like, you guys are ridiculous. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fascinating. Uh, you know, for a book where like I think multiple pages of issue one is like full frontal nudity full of nudity. female character. Um I I mean, I don't know, just the insult of making comics for Puritans is just absolutely hysterical to me. Like I can't imagine like a Puritan reading a comic book about Tarna. <laughs> like, uh, I think somebody's wires got a little crossed and maybe needs to go back to like American history class, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> I, that was, that was crazy. I was like, you guys Google, you just, just do a Google search. You'll, you'll, you'll see this is not what you're thinking as I'm reading it and seeing like her bathing in the sky naked. Like, I was just right. like, have you guys ever read Conan? He puts on armor. Like, it was so right. silly, but it was just that unfortunate outrage. And then I love your idea, which is another. Oh, this sounds really psycho. It was another video I did about you. <laughs> um, not crazy. I promise. I just love comics um, about your I killed comics. I thought that was such a cool way to turn something negative, super negative into positive and, you know, give it to charity. How did you come up with that? Um, honestly, like, I feel like that person that left that negative comment, like, did all the work for me because I yeah. couldn't have come up with something better. Like, I just... Uh, you know, you start reading it and it's like, you know, it pops up on my phone and, you know, you're like, oh, great. Like, you know, somebody saying something rude and hateful. But then I got to the end of it and I read that line of like, you killed comics in cold blood. <laughs> and I was just like, I've just been given a gift. And I immediately knew it was a gift. I was like, this is this is special. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I debated even posting it at all just because, uh, you know, I didn't want to give them the anyway. air that they were yeah, yeah they like clearly were seeking but um and that's part of the reason you know I, I blinked their name out but uh once I saw some of the reactions to it and you know I I got a couple people asking like for shirts or things that said it and I was like that's not a bad idea and I looked into it and I found a place that would kind of help me donate all of it because you know it wasn't something that I wanted to to profit from right um but I, yeah, I, I really like that everybody kind of came together and, um, you know, I got asked recently if I thought that, you know, uh, a lot of creators leaving social media or, you know, saying kind of disparaging things about these various platforms, like, you know, does this make me realize that they have a point? And I was like, I actually feel like the opposite has happened. Like that was one person, but like thousands of people came together to do something positive with yeah. one person's negative negativity and uh i was like no i think yeah you know those people are absolutely out there and twitter can be like the wild west but uh it's it's really cool especially during covid you know i i haven't done a convention in two over two years um you know i haven't been able to interact face to face with people about harley or wonder woman or anything going on and so having these kind of interactions in this digital community i think have been really cool and really important and you know getting to connect with uh cosplayers and just these people that have really cool stories about why they love harley and it's uh 
you know, I, I sometimes get messages about what Harley as a character means to someone or, you know, why, what they enjoy. And that's always so cool to get to read and talk to them. And I'm glad that we have those opportunities. Oh, yeah. And I did see, are you excited? Aren't you going back to a couple conventions next month? I am. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really nervous about it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. It's definitely one of those things, though, where like, you know, I message, I have a couple friends that are like doctors and every day I message like, is this still going to be okay? Yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, but you know, I think uh, the conventions I'm doing have all required masks. Um, New York Comic Con has now required vaccination, which is great. So um, yeah, I'm hoping that we can return to these events a little bit more normally. <laughs> return back to normal and be able to interact again. And, and you know, this is great, but I, I, you're also doing free autographs of the mask. So how can you argue with that? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and of course, my landlord is mowing. So last question, I promise. <laughs> I got to know, because I am a continuity freak. <laughs> is Wonder Woman Evolution, are you able to say if that's in continuity? Um. So it's it's kind of its own thing. Um, okay. So it, it was initially going to be a black label book. So the idea for it was not for it to fit directly into continuity. Um, but, you know, I, I am following the Becky Clooney and Michael Con Conrad's run um, has been really good. Um, really good. <laughs> it's yeah, it's super, super fun to read and exciting. Uh, so I... I'm intentionally doing things where like, if we borrow an element or a character, like it's not going to disrupt what they're doing. Everything will kind of fit back into their run when we're done with it. Um, so, you know, it's not like you're going to lose something that will dramatically impact their run. Um, but I really see it as its own self-contained eight issue Wonder Woman story. I wondered, cause I'm, constantly <laughs> when I'm doing reviews I'm like I don't know crime syndicate it's continuity and I don't know where it right. fits in and it's driving me crazy so I always ask yeah I mean it's it's current Wonder Woman uh like right now Wonder Woman uh modern day uh but it it is intended to kind of take her out of that story and give her kind of just our take on her for issues and then we will put things kind of back where we found them and maybe with a little psychological damage at the end it's fine <laughs> great <laughs> i love it oh my gosh thank you so so much for coming on I, I absolutely was shocked and humbled i really really appreciate it is there anything um i know harley comes out i believe the 31st is there anything upcoming that we should be telling people to look out for yeah, I think that's that's a big thing. We got uh, Harley number six next week and the annual on the 31st, uh, which is something I am just super excited about the annual. It's, you know, 40 pages of, um, you know, keepsake Kevin, Grundy, Harley, and a bunch of cool villains that they get to interact with in, in Gotham. Um, so I have been thrilled about this for a long time and really excited to have that one out. Awesome. And don't sleep on nuclear family. <laughs> don't make, <laughs> make sure you check it out. It was so good. I binged it last night. I'm like, I love it. I love it. So thank you <laughs> thank so, you. so much. Absolutely appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. If you made it this far in the video, make sure you put in the comment section, hashtag 
Kevin. So I know you did. And I really want to say thank you again to Stephanie Phillips for coming on the channel. I absolutely had such a great time talking to her. And she is welcome back at any point ever. Open invitation. Now, hit like, subscribe, and I will see you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.